welcome to the Badass Breastfeeding Podcast. This is Diane, your lactation consultant. And I'm Abby, the Badass Breastfeeder. And today's episode is brought to you by Baby Catan. Baby Catan is a baby carrier that allows parents to easily wear it without complicated wrapping or buckling. And today's episode is also brought to you by Cake Maternity. Cake Maternity stocks one of the largest ranges of maternity and nursing bras out there. Um, we'll hear more from our sponsors later, but these sponsors make this podcast possible. So if you can please head to badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com, check out our sponsor page and see if you can give these or any of our sponsors um, your business. That would really be great for them and it would support the podcast. Um, and while you're there, you can scroll down and enter your email address email address and get episode straight sent straight to your inbox now diane has our review of the week and hopefully she won't stumble over her words as much as i did <laughs> this is kind of okay. a special <laughs> yeah it's okay we're just human right so it doesn't right. matter this is a special review of the week this actually came to us from somebody's husband partner who says my wife victoria philia true is a devout listener to your podcast series. When we had our son three years ago, she found your podcast soon after. This podcast, along with breastfeeding our son, inspired her to change her profession and become a lactation consultant. We moved from Kentucky to South Carolina with the hopes that if I made a little more money and a different job, she could focus on making her dream happen. Not only did she get hired as a lactation consultant, she got the job while seven months pregnant with our second child. She now works with an amazing team of women. And as my wife says, she now has her dream of a dream job. The joke always being that she would never even have dreamed she could have had as good a job as being an LC. My wife finished her education this month. We'll be sitting for her IBCLC in April. Thanks for you two for your work on this podcast. I know you guys probably get a lot of inquiries, but we recently found out that my son's teacher had COVID and we had to quarantine this week, which is most unfortunate as my wife's birthday is on Thursday, January 21st. So it just passed. She is a bit bummed about it, but if you guys have any time to give her a happy birthday, I know it would brighten her bit week a bit. I understand if there's not time for shout outs. Either way, thank you again for all your work and dedication to the health and happiness of all the mothers and babies out there. So happy birthday, Victoria. We're a little late, but I hope you had a wonderful week anyway. And congratulations. It takes a lot to like change, completely change your career path. And we've had a few people that have messaged us about that. And I just think it's amazing. So congratulations to you. Happy birthday, Victoria. Happy birthday. There's always time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that was our review of the week. So thank you very much to this devout partner who reached out and in, in um, for his wife. And yeah, this week is a really special episode, really special it, episode. It is. Yes. Um, and it's an important conversation that I think we could all use and do better at and be better allies. And so that's what we're trying to do here. And we have Ash Luna, who you may know as the um, creative badass force behind the fourth trimester bodies project. Um, they're the photographer there behind that project. And um, we're talking about inclusivity and let's get to it. Yeah. Awesome. Welcome, Ash Luna, to the Badass Breastfeeding Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. I know you're extremely busy lately, um, but thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to talk to you in this format. Great. And you and I have known each other for many years now. We have. Um, yeah, we met. I mean, I, I know that 
I know that my oldest was a baby when we mm-hmm. first met. Um, and he's nine. So it's been a while. Yes. Um, and I have seen so and for your you are what most people might know as the um, talented force behind the fourth trimester bodies project. Yes, that is my that is my baby. I am the founder <laughs> photographer of that beautiful little movement. Yes. And we've had my family has had the extreme pleasure of being photographed by you and they hang in our house and it's a very wonderful thing to have. Um, and But I've watched you. I mean, I've followed you and your project and you in your personal. You're also very, very um, what's it, open and sharing about your personal experiences, which I really appreciate because I've learned so much. Um, but we're here to talk today about inclusivity. And this is something that is not just... It seems to me that it's not just something that, you know, a side project you're interested in. This is something you're living. It is. is this, yeah. I would love to know, can you tell us your story or, you know, in as much detail as you're comfortable, you know, of what, what's, what, how you came to this topic or, you yeah. know, what we're doing today? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think like even just running back to Fourth Trimester Bodies Project, it started because I found myself in a personal situation where there was a need or there was a gap in the things that were being talked about, particularly amongst the the birth and postpartum communities, which at the time for me was loss, was the fact that the babies die. Um, and so I think that as an artist and as a writer and as a person who doesn't really have a filter and doesn't know when to shut up sometimes for better or worse. Um, you know, I do. I, I, I am just, my lived experience is my life experience and my point of reference with which I think I make art and I connect to other humans in the world. Um, I'm also the kind of person, I'm a Sagittarius if this frames things for anybody, um, but I'm a person that feels justice and injustices like at my core. And since I was a little kid, like, you know, have been writing wrongs whenever I, I come across them. Um, so I have kind of just lived out loud as cheesy as that phrase is, um, for as long as I can remember. And I think through fourth trimester bodies project, when my work, um, and my art became really public, I, for the first time had the opposite personal experience. I took some perhaps wise, but also harmful advice from a PR person early on to kind of quiet my personal story and myself, because the more vanilla I was, the more palatable my project was to the most amount of people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I didn't talk a lot about who I was and what my life experience was outside of like, you know, the story that I shared within the project, which was very much my pregnancy and birth and postpartum story. Um, for a really long time. And then, you know, life happened. Um, My personal relationship that I was in at the time um, ended for very good reason. Um, And I was free of a lot of things um, and really just decided, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I want to be an example for my children of, of authenticity. If nothing else, I want them to be able to know that like who I am and, and what I exist as is is true so that they can hopefully, you know, have that same experience themselves without ever feeling like they need to put themselves in a box or quiet themselves down. So, um, through the work of the project and through parenting my kids, um, I just kind of had this in some ways slow and in some ways really overt, like multi-level coming out 
(laughs) experience, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as the parent of a disabled person, or a few disabled people, actually, um, my eldest is very neurodiverse. um, And so we've had to navigate that. My my middle kiddo is physically disabled and developmentally disabled, and we've had to, you know, create our space in the world as people who, um, you know, realize this world is not made for us in those ways. Um, and then Nova, that same middle kid, came out to us about age three as a human. Um, we now know that they're non-binary, trans, agender. Um, those labels shift a little bit. Um but they they had this kind of grand coming out, and we really had to catch ourselves up to language and advocacy for them, especially as a person who, because of their disabilities, interacts with a lot of care providers and a lot of spaces um, where people's focus are things other than their identity. And so I think it's easy to kind of pathologize some things, even if it's gender, um, so that they can focus on something else. And so I learned how to advocate for them. And through that advocacy, realized that, you know, I myself, I've always known I was a queer person um, since I was a very young kid. Um, But I never quite understood what my gender was or how it fit. I knew that I didn't feel like a girl or a woman. I also know that I very much do not want to be a man. Um, And nobody had ever really given me permission or understanding to, like, exist in the space between, except for Nova, my eight-year-old. and so. I kind of had these revelations of self. And then I think then, you know, especially again, existing in a space um, mostly surrounded by women and mothers and pregnancy and birth um, really started to feel the, the scratchiness of not belonging in that space, which I think just added another personal, you know, layer for me of, advocacy um, and, and kind of framing inclusivity in a new space because, you know, as we know, not all pregnant people are women. Um, Not all people that feed their babies with their bodies are women. Um, Not all people that give birth are mothers. Um, And so my personal frame of reference has, um, you know, definitely led the charge, but it's also connected me with communities that Um, you know, outside of myself, outside from other queer trans birthing people, um, that, that really connect and intersect with other communities that are marginalized and oppressed in ways that, um, you know, I, as a, as a person with privilege, who's educated, who's white, um, very much feel a responsibility for doing what I can in the spaces I exist in to push the boundaries of inclusivity and give other people voices, um, you know, to exist in those spaces in a way that is, is more equitable, that is more safe. And thus concludes my 17 minute rant. (laughs) (laughs) It was not 17 minutes. (laughs) It was about seven minutes and that was perfect. Um, Thank you um, so much for sharing. Uh, your story. And, um, it's been, I will say re, you know, cause you know, you said you put it all, you kind of put, thank you for putting it all out there. Um, I'll say that this conversation is something that I think that this podcast just in, you know, let's start here <laughs> that, you know, we need a good healthy dose of, um, you know, learning kind of what you were saying. I loved the way you said the spaces in between. 
Because yeah. to me, that's what it kind of comes down to, right? Mm-hmm. Is we live in this world of man, woman, um, the boy, girl. And that's not the reality. That's not really reality at all. No. Yeah. And, and there's... Go ahead. Yeah, it's it's not real. And it's interesting to start, you know, we could have 12 adjacent conversations, I'm sure, about, you know, why it is that way. But... Yeah. So many of us exist feeling like, you know, there's two binary boxes and that relates to everything, right? Not just gender, but, you know, I, I fit here, or I fit here. And there's not a lot of margins um, or space for that to vary when, you know, the opposite is actually true. We all exist on, on spectrums or, um, you know, in more circular ways than we give give space for. Yeah. And even just talking about like the biology of it, you had a post, um, I don't know if it was, it was recently in the last couple of days where you were talking about estrogen and testosterone. Yes. Yeah. And I just, you know, how like, well, you know, females have estrogen and males have testosterone and how that's not accurate at all. Yeah, it's not. And, and some people really don't know. Yeah. And I think I always hope that the way that I advocate and educate is it is is not something that's off-putting to folks. Um, you know, I, I know a lot about the things that I know a, a lot about, but that's been a process. You know, we were all ignorant to XYZ at some point in time. And um, there's a meme that I think I share very, very frequently that, you know, says that it's okay to admit that you were previously speaking from a less informed space. Um and I think that that is, is really applicable to these conversations because, you know, sometimes our brain just, again, puts things in boxes and, and we assume that, oh, yes, you know, women have estrogen, men have testosterone. That's how that works. That's how the biology is. Um, and then we learn that that's not true, you know, that all humans exist with varying levels of those hormones. And mm-hmm. um, there are, you know, cisgendered women who have more testosterone than cisgendered men. Um, but we don't go around testing everybody's hormones before we decide, um, you know, <laughs> where they right. where they belong. Um, we just make these assumptions. So I think sometimes even that basic information is really eye-opening to people in understanding, you know, the fluidity that is the human existence. Yeah. Yeah. And so for the for the for this audience, this audience is made up of mostly people who are breastfeeding. Yeah. Um. And so this con this conversation is uh, very relevant. Um. Here in this in this space. Um. And how do you so in your opinion how or you know from what in for, or from your own experience we can say, um. How does breastfeeding kind of intersect with this inclusivity conversation? Yeah. I th- I think you know. Again, it's something that exists on a spectrum. Um. From my personal experience, I have fed humans with my body for coming up on a decade now. Um, and I think we, and I, you know, use the, the very broad we as educators and, and activists and lactivists and people who, um, you know, feel strongly about this at some point along the way in our attempt to even, um, you know, normalize breastfeeding and, and reduce some of the stigma surrounded it ended up almost marginalizing ourselves and marginalizing our communities a little bit more um which which is unfortunate because i think we need to to realize that there's all sorts of bodies that lactate and that feed babies um 
my personal journey has been from one of considering myself a breastfeeding mother to now I'm a, a human, a parent who, you know, chest feeds or body feeds um, my toddler. Um, and so I think allowing space for that language to vary and um, just understanding that, you know, nobody's trying to take anything from your experience. If you are a woman or a mother um, who feels strongly and powerful about breastfeeding and normalizing and advocating for breastfeeding, I think that is awesome and wonderful. Um, but I think it's then also a little bit of a weight that we all carry to understand that there are other folks in our community um, who are still marginalized and who still need access to resources and advocacy um, and are living a shared experience, even though, um, you know, parts of it may differ. Yeah. And you had, a, um, you also had a post. I'm always reading your posts. So I'm going to refer to a lot of these. Um, you had, a, this was a while ago, actually, when you talked about feeling Othered, and and then what I'm saying, and if, if you can't hear it, othered like the other person. Um, mm -hmm. You had a post that said you were. I can't even remember the the situation you were in, but you were talking about how you were made to feel othered, and that struck me as like, oh, okay, this is something that goes on with people that I care about, with you know, within this community, and this is something that me. And Diane, as you know, as people who are sharing breastfeeding information, or as you say, or we can say chest feeding or body feeding information, is that when we're talking about, you know, there's so much of this focus of, of mothers breastfeeding. And, you know, in that sense, we are othering people. Is that yeah. correct? Or is yeah, that? I think yeah. so. And I, this is something I talk about often, so I, I'm not certain the exact post that you're referencing. But, you know, I feel like for me, the general context is is usually that it's that, you know, kind of this assumption that you're creating an umbrella space and that I, as a person of a different gender who also, you know, uses my body for this function, um, fits under that umbrella. But, you know, communities aren't always willing to to shift their language or the intention of their spaces to be inclusive, which does feel a little bit othering or ostracizing. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes pushes folks, you know, farther into the corners, farther into the closet mm -hmm. um, and and can make it feel like spaces and supports and communities, um, you know, aren't accessible to us. Um, and something that I talk about, I do also do like inclusive, inclusivity trainings for, um, professional folks, for corporate spaces, small businesses, and how not only to up update their forward face facing information, their company, um, you know, public facing information, but how to tweak and change their internal policies and, and language to be more supportive of employees um, and clients that might not, you know, exist in a binary world. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is that, you know, they'll say, you know, this space is for women and non-binary people or women and trans people or, <laughs> um, and, they think that by making those small shifts, they're being inclusive, right? That that's, that's what it takes. Um, and, you know, I always applaud those intentions because I think that awareness and that desire to, to shift language is really important um, and definitely is a step in the right direction. Um, but unfortunately, those actions without a few more steps end up creating harm. Um, you know, in the context of breastfeeding, this might apply a little bit less because, 
you know, most people who do choose to feed their babies with their bodies um, may have been assigned female at birth. Um, and so, you know, you can argue that we do fit under this umbrella a little bit more neatly, but a lot of times, you know, in these, these other spaces, um, you know, by, by including non-binary people or saying that they include transgender people, what they actually mean is that people that they perceive as women still. Um, and that can be really, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, my partner is also a non-binary person. Um, they are, however, much more masculine presenting. They are tall. Um, they are broad shouldered. They have facial hair. Um, and so I, who am smaller and, um, you know, more androgynous presenting can show up to a woman's space and be welcomed a lot more readily, um, than they are under the label of being non-binary. Um, and so I think that's something that we we also need to consider is is what are we saying and who are we still othering, um, even sometimes in our attempts to be inclusive. Yeah, that's really important, and and that's I think that's what I feel um, myself doing is um, trying to shift the language, but feeling like I need to do more, mm-hmm. you know, than shift the language. And and I think shifting language is a good place to start because that's where maybe you start to create new pathways in your brain or something, you know, where you can um, get used to saying they rather than she or he, or, you know, just kind of introducing yourself to this topic. Because some people, you know, we're still dealing in a society where some people have never really even heard this conversation, you know? Absolutely. They're not open to it. Or, you know, not even to get into the people who aren't open to it, but some people who are just aren't even exposed to it. And, you know, the, I'll say that my, I have such a love-hate relationship with social media, but like a lot of my education comes from being on social media yeah, oh, and just reading and following people and just taking the time to see what they're saying about themselves and their experience. Absolutely. It's a great space for education. In fact, I just saw my therapist for the first time in like a year yesterday um, and I joked with her about how valuable she is, but you know, we were talking about how the past year has been. And I, I joked that, you know, as valuable as you are and as much as I need you in my life, sometimes there's these awakenings that happen on social media from other people who like share my experience or, you know, share my past traumas even. Sometimes they just say something in such a way that it clicks and you have that aha moment of, you know, wow, that's a piece that I was missing. Um, so yeah, I too have a love hate relationship with social media. Um, but the, you know, the, the labor that is done there, um, the education that is offered up, um, can be really invaluable. Um, and I, I think it's, it's a medium where a lot of folks, if you're open to listening, you know, share their personal experience in a way that is really accessible. Um, I'm in school right now for social work, as you know, um, and I'm taking a gender studies course, which is painful, um, primarily because even my professor's understanding of the concepts is different than mine, just as a person who's lived a different experience. Um, But we had to have a, a conversation after a few folks said some harmful things about, you know, the, the matters that we were discussing. And I really appreciated how she framed the conversation um, and that she acknowledged, you know, a lot of people come from a place where 
these concepts are new to you. You know, you've never met a queer person or a trans person or a non-binary person, or you've been raised in a culture or a religion that has taught you that these concepts are somehow harmful or wrong. Um, and that's okay. You don't necessarily have to change your viewpoint or your understanding. Um, but the conversations that we are having are about science and they're also about lived experience. And so, you know, if you approach things with a level of respect that this is another human's experience um, and are willing to just observe and listen that, you know, sometimes that's enough. Um, and while I would love for all of our society to become more expansive <laughs> um, and remove some of the barriers that exist for, you know, queer and trans people literally just existing in our communities, um, I, I think we start by by taking that step backward and and doing what my professor called for and just, you know, acknowledging that these conversations we're having about, you know, gender variance and, um, you know, the spectrum even of biological sex, um, those are scientific, that, that, like those are facts. And then when we build on top of them, you know, the experiences of actual humans um, whose lives we value, it, it starts to become much easier to kind of wrap your head around these concepts that might initially seem weird or new or scary to folks. Yeah, because, yeah, because it is, it is, and I think that this is where we get into this, um, to this thing where people are feeling they're weird, they feel, they feel strange, they feel uncomfortable, this is new to me, I don't know what to do. And then we get into a lot of these situations where I think, and I know happens where it says, well, I don't know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I'm going to say nothing. Yeah. And, you know, nobody wants you know, harmful things to be said, right? You know, we don't want to hurt one another. Mm -hmm. But I would rather, you know, 20 people say the wrong thing and we be moved to have a conversation and a corrective experience and then try again to do better than have, you know, those same 20 people not say anything. Um, because that's how we learn. That's how we grow. It's okay to stumble and mess up along the way. Um, you know, as long as that willingness exists. For sure. And I love the, the idea of practicing too, is like something that, and I, th for me, that's something that comes along with social media is that I read this stuff all the time but I don't actually like talk about it that much because mm -hmm. I, it's social media is just something that you're reading in your head. Right. I'm not. It's so the idea of like practicing, like with, with my husband, we, her, he has, he works with a couple of people who are, you know, are c coming out in various ways as well. And, um, you know, we were like practicing this week, like talking and it's amazing how much you just mess up. Yeah. And then we look at each other and we're like, they. Like, oh, yeah, right, they. You know, and, it, and practicing helps. Yeah. And it, it's something that I never even would have considered unless I'd like read a meme about it or something. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. like practice. <laughs> practice saying it, practice doing it. And I think the other thing, too, for, for me that I, that I, following people, too, is like, nobody expects you to be perfect. You're going to mess up. Mm -hmm. And then I think that we have this whole, like, this thing where it's like, I'm going to be like mortified and devastated and ashamed if I mess up and if somebody has to correct me. But what if we kind of change the narrative on that of like being corrected is totally fine. Yeah. You yeah. know, and just go, oh, right. And then, you know, 
keep going. Correct yourself. Keep going. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because, you know, we encounter that all the time. People do feel in and they might feel embarrassed and and that's fine, but you don't need to. You know, we all make mistakes. Um, and and what you just said is is so important. You know, correct yourself and move on. Sometimes I think people do feel that embarrassment or, you know, they feel bad. And so suddenly it becomes about their their feelings and you end up having this whole side conversation about how bad they feel for misgendering you, um, which ultimately feels much worse than the fact that they've misgendered you. Um, and yeah, just say, oh, I'm sorry, they move right along. Um, right. Absolutely. Yeah, don't turn it into this like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Ah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, now the other person has to like, stop what they're doing and comfort you. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's we don't need to give that responsibility to anybody. Just correct yourself and move on. It's okay. Absolutely. And I think, you know, so, so rarely in our culture, we, we have these opportunities to just take simple ownership of things. Um, and I think that's one, one of the things that these kind of exercises really highlight for me is that you can own something, apologize and move right along. You know, nobody's harboring, oh gosh, on Tuesday at 3 p.m., Abby, you know, called me she instead of they. And gosh, I'm just, we're going to have to talk about that. No, it's fine. <laughs> just yeah. keep, keep on going. Right. And trust. And trust also that if you really did actually hurt somebody's feelings and that you weren't aware and you didn't apologize or something, that that if this is somebody, you know, a reasonable person, which, you know, most of us are, <laughs> um, they'll bring it up. Absolutely. You know, say, hey, you know, I, you know, I noticed the other, you know, I noticed earlier you said this, or, you know, I don't know, you know, you just, we'll just bring it up and we can talk about these things and we can move on. Absolutely. And no, you're right. No one's going to sit at home like, you know, stewing in anger at you. We are talking to Ash Luna and now we are going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Baby Catan. Baby Catan Baby Carrier offers an innovative, ready-to-wear, patented design, allowing parents to easily carry baby without any complicated wrapping or buckling. Simply slip it on like a t-shirt and choose from five positions that best fit you and your baby. Their sizing calculator will ensure you find your best fit. For the breastfeeding parent, the Baby Catan Baby Carrier assists and promotes successful breastfeeding. The sash can be used as a discreet nursing cover while nursing on the go but it's small enough that it can be tucked away easily into a diaper bag or purse. The Baby Catan Baby Carrier has won numerous awards for Best Newborn Carrier over the years for its ease of use and functionality. Baby Catan continues to increase their product line with sim smart, simple, and stylish products that are designed to help promote the natural bond between parent and baby. Check out Baby Catan at babycatan.com. That's B-A-B-Y. KTAN.com and use code BADASS for 10% off your purchase. Hurry because this offer ends on March 19th, 2021. Today's episode is also brought to you by Cake Maternity. Cake Maternity is a nursing bra specialist, is passionate about breastfeeding and the many benefits it offers for parent and bub and the environment. Breastfeeding, while natural, doesn't always come naturally to everyone. That's why they have made it their mission to empower breastfeeders as they mindfully navigate the world of parenthood and help make breastfeeding easier through experience-driven innovation. Cake Maternity stocks one of the largest ranges of maternity and nursing bras, which includes Seamless, Sleep, 
flexible wired, non-wired, sports padded plunge t-shirt and fuller busted bra, fuller busted bras in sizes ranging from 30A to 42K. With 13 years of experience under their belt, Cake Maternity is renowned for their quality, fit, and support. Cake has you covered for your maternity and nursing bra needs. Head to Cake Maternity, like chocolate cake, but cake, C-A-K-E, maternity.com, and use code BADASS15 for 15% off of your order. And these sponsors and their promo codes can be found in our show notes under this episode on badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com. Our show notes will also include further information about things that we talked about in this episode. And also at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com, you'll find our breastfeeding resources, all of our other episodes, and information about scheduling your very own one-on-one online lactation consultation with Diane. And now we're going to get back to our interview with the talented and badass Ash Luna. But, but we're talking a lot about, to me, you know, this is a lot about like, you know, misgendering and correcting language, which is super important. But you were talking earlier, you mentioned um, like just barriers, like barriers within, you know, the education system and the medical system and, and all of these um, places that you come into contact with. What it like? Can you give us some examples of the things that you've run into, or things that have happened, or like you know the systemic things that that exist that are barriers for yeah. inclusivity? Sure. Um, again, framing things from personal experience because I think that is you know where I'm most comfortable speaking from. Um, you know, we see this even you know with Nova with my kiddo. Um, you know, we'll go to the ER and they sometimes look very. Andro- usually look pretty androgynous, actually. Nova has short hair. Um, it's usually a fun color. Um, really likes to wear sparkly dresses. But, you know, if you're in the ER, you're in a gown, everybody kind of looks the same. Um, yeah. We started noticing, you know, and, and this is probably the first time that my eyes were personally opened to this. We started noticing how differently they were treated and how differently their pain was evaluated based on what gender the resident or the nurse who came in to initially speak with them um, based on what gender they were assumed to be. Um, Mm -hmm. If they were kind of coded boy, it was a lot of, ah, buddy, you're so brave. You're so strong. You know, we'll get this taken right. You know, we'll get this taken care of right away. And if they were coded as girl, it was kind of like this, oh, poor, pitiful you. This is really sad sort of conversation. And, you know, to be going through this with a three, four, five, six, seven, now eight-year-old, you know, person is just, wild <laughs> you know and these are doctors who who we have great trust in you know we we use a, a world renowned children's hospital they are top notch we love them but you know we really started noticing how pervasive this is even in children so obviously this is where it starts um and then you know you you look at grown ups and the health care systems that we deal with and um, you know, for me as a person who up until a few years ago was still in the part of my life where I was growing and, and birthing humans, finding care, um, you know, for those systems of your body, OBGYN, midwifery support, um, as a non-cisgendered, you know, person is really hard because there's a lot of biases and a lot of coded language, um, and just a lot of, you know, normalization and a lot of practices um, that ends up being harmful. You know, practices just assume, oh, we're, you know, we're looking at uteruses all day. 
100% of our patients, of our clients are women. We don't need to try any harder. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's never been the reality, you know, but also now I think as people are feeling more comfortable um, societally, you know, being out in community with one another, um, it's even more important for practices to, to have open language because it prevents people from seeking care that they really need. Um, you know, it, it creates disparities in the queer and trans community overall um, that lead to shorter lifespans because folks just don't feel comfortable accessing care. Um, you know, even if you are a transgender person that has medically transitioned, you know, sometimes you'll get a hospital band that has, you know, the wrong sex marker on it based on, you know, your genitals, not anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the triggers that come with that can be so harmful that, you know, folks, um, you know, avoid getting medical care. And then once you're in the medical system, you know, there are, gatekeeping and barriers and abuses that that happen um that are that are hard to deal with um you know as a a pregnant and birthing person for me i was able to find a really supportive midwifery practice where we live um who addressed me you know as a non-binary person who used my pronouns who made mistakes but you know corrected them and held them um but when I got to a point in my pregnancy with my last kiddo where we realized it was going to be safe for us to try birthing at home, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, that was an easy choice for us. But I think as it relates to my partner's gender and my gender, um, and also the fact that we've chosen not to assign a gender to this baby, um, that felt like a much safer choice, you know, not having to navigate a hospital system, nurses, doctors that we hadn't been able to meet before. Um, you know, felt like a much safer choice. And you know, there's a lot of privilege in us being able to make that choice that a lot of folks don't have. Um, I was actually just talking with a young trans person this morning who wants to have kids in the future and knows that it's a couple years off, but is really stressed out right now about um, their stealth, which means that, you know, they present as a man in most of their life and people don't actually know that they're trans. Um, but knowing that they want to to get pregnant and carry and birth a baby, um, you know, even years down the road is like creating some serious mental health struggles for them right now because they know what they're up against. Um, and so these are all little things that, you know, shifts in language can, um, you know, just, just break down barriers for, and, you know, I haven't even gotten to the breastfeeding part of the journey, but, you know, fight finding, um, IBCLCs and breastfeeding support groups and lactation resources um, that are available to people that aren't cisgendered women who are lactating and feeding their babies is really, really hard. Um, You know, again, thank goodness for social media where there are more vocal, um, you know, people doing the work to connect and support people in these ways. But if you're trying to find those resources in your local community and, you know, we live in Chicago, we live in a great big city, um, you know, even here finding those resources. And if you can find them, finding ones that are accessible, affordable, um, you know, are, are really, really hard. And these affect not only the outcomes for trans people and their families, but their children. And, and it starts to become this really big generational you know, cyclical problem that I think we're really just starting to talk about. Yes. I feel, yeah, this does, it feels like a, yeah, it feels like the conversation is taking off and I hope that it continues. Yeah. Um, 
But you you mentioned mental health, and I think that that is a huge thing to talk about. Is that this is not a this is not a situation where you know we just want to get it right because we don't want to feel bad about getting it wrong. This is something that you know is you know this is tied to people's identities. Um, this is tied to you know when when you know we're coming across these barriers when people are suffering through these things. This has dire consequences to people's mental health. It really does. And, you know, I think the, the medical conversation and this conversation at a whole, like, you know, we haven't even scratched the surface on, you know, how these disparities are compounded for, um, you know, considering black and brown people's lived right. experience, like adding racial injustices into this conversation, you know, adds a whole nother spectrum of, of harm and oppression and marginalization. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not just about, you know, respectability or, um, you know, making ticking the boxes on a form easier. It really is about people's lived experience. Um, and one of the best examples that I like to give when we're talking about this is, you know, imagine existing in the world as a straight white man, like you're the default. Um, you know, I have conversations with straight white men in corporate positions, um, pretty regularly. And when I ask them to think about their identity, I would say over 90% of them are dumbfounded because to them, they don't have an identity because they're, they're the default, you know, their mm. formula for what this world is made for. And when I ask them to consider, you know, how their race, how their gender, how their sex, how their sexual orientation affects their lives, it's sometimes, you know, and, and these are 50, 60 year old men, it's sometimes the first time that they've ever had to consider that. Um, you know, whereas when you take the experience of, again, I'm going to use myself as an example. And again, I'm, I'm white, I'm able-bodied, I exist with a lot of privilege, but, um, you know, a trans non-binary person and you examine the identities that I hold, you add queerness to the mix, you add my family's disability status to the mix, you add the fact that I have a blended multiracial family to the mix. Um, and when you blend these identities together, you just start layering on, you know, barriers and, and differences in existence. And you start to, you know, kind of see this ladder of, of how we all have to exist um, in our society. And so I think it's really important for people to consider their identities and where they are um, as it relates to other people. Um, and something I think at this point of the conversation, I always like to add because I know that there are super wonderful, well-intentioned um, folks out there who feel when we have these conversations that something is being taken from them, um, you know, I want a space for women. I want a space for breastfeeding mothers. You know, I, I want a space where I feel safe. Why are you trying to take that from me? Um, and I would really ask folks to pause at that point and acknowledge that nobody is trying to take something from you. You know, first of all, you have so much, um, but nobody wants to take that from you. Other people just want their actual existence in their identity or identities to be allowed to exist in the same ways that you take for granted. Um, and I think when you really start to different, differentiate that, um, a lot of folks are able to open their eyes and understand in a different way why all of this is, is important. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a similar, you know, we, you know, we do a lot on the podcast for like Black Breastfeeding Week. And, you know, we, we do have those conversations about what you were saying, like black, how the black and brown experience kind of intersects with this. And I, that's the same thing that comes up in that conversation, you know, in all of these conversations is that people feel like something is being taken from them. You know, and somehow giving somebody empowerment and resources takes resources away from white people, which yeah. has never happened. Yeah. You know, there's never been a lack of resource. Well, there, there's lacks of resources all across the board, of course, you know, when you speak specifically about breastfeeding. Um, but, you know, providing space for other people, there's enough to go around. Yeah. No one's trying to take anything from anybody. I mean, I'm just repeating what you said. I wholeheartedly agree. I think it's, I think that is so important is that, you know, if, if you find yourself feeling sort of defensive or protective of the space or whatever, like really, you got to stop and wonder what is going on. Yeah. What's going yeah. on with you with that feeling? Exactly. And even if it takes, you know, picking somebody else's identity and, and really breaking down, you know, the levels of their existence to understand, do that again, practice, you know, practice this stuff, spend the time with yourself, examining your own biases and, you know, why you feel the way that you do. Um, because most of us, I think I, I would hope all of us, but definitely most of us, you know, want to grow and want to exist, um, you know, in a place that is more equitable and, you know, where other folks right to existence mirrors that of our own. Right. And my husband, my husband was talking yesterday and you know what? I always say my husband and would it be more, would I, would I, would it be more, um, inclusive for me to say partner? You could, but also if that's your identity term, if that's your relationship and that's what feels good too, that's totally valid. Um, and, and I'm glad that you asked that because some po folks actually feel the opposite that, you know, if you are in a cis hetero relationship and you use the word partner or spouse, um, you know, that maybe that's not the best choice. I don't feel that way. I feel like that's a little bit gatekeepy. Um, but it's, it's up to you. You know, I say spouse or partner because both my partner and I are non-binary people. Um, right. But yeah, there's nothing wrong with husband or wife if that's the, the label that feels good for you. Okay. Well, I was having a conversation with him last night and he was saying that, and he was reading this whole big Twitter thread that he was like, he was really enjoying. It was about like, um, you know, gender affirming language and stuff like that. And he was saying like, you know, I never really thought about that perspective of it is like, you know, you, we go around, you know, cisgendered white people, I think, you know, go around like, I don't want to hurt your feelings. Let me get this right. So I'm not hurting people's feelings. But even that narrative could change to like, I want to be affirming to people. Yeah. You know, I want to, I, I don't not, I don't want to just not hurt your feelings. I want to do it right because I want to affirm, you know, your identity. Yeah. I and want, you know, go ahead. I think that's a really huge and really important shift to make too. Um, because you're right, you know, just not offending somebody and actually being affirming and actually being inclusive is, you know, those are exist on their own spectrum. Um, and I, I think that actually being affirming um, is a much better goal to have, but not something that most folks even consider. Right, right. Um, and you were, we were talking about um, the breastfeeding community um, and the, you know, the resources and even here in Chicago in this big city, how difficult it is to find 
um, these resources. And I, you know, how, how, how do we get, I mean, this is, I'm asking you this question, like you can change it all with us, you know, like a wand or something, but you know, just, just as like a conversation point, like how do we like get better at this? Like, how are we going to, how do we further these conversations? How do we push into these barriers, you know, to, to open these spaces? Do you know what, you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And it is, yeah. I mean, it's something that, you know, usually if I can be super candid, my response to that question is burn it all down and start over. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. That's, that's what it takes. But those same, you know, little steps that we talked about previously, kind of taking in your personal life and your online spaces of shifting your language a little bit, opening your eyes to what other needs exist in your community. Um, I think you start there and you grow and it's not perfect. You know, when you set the intention and, and start moving, you know, nothing is perfect at the start. There's always growing pains. Um, you know, and unfortunately sometimes as you grow a space to be more accessible and inclusive and affirming to, you know, other populations, some of your base population doesn't always stick through it with you, which is unfortunate. Um, but I think being willing to make those changes in language and in intention um, is where you start. And then I think the needs of the communities that you know you are then accessing make themselves known. Um, and it is an ongoing process as you know, existing as humans always is. Um, but being open and setting those attentions from the start, I think is, is where you get the ball rolling. Yeah. And we have, you know, again, I'm talking a lot about breastfeeding, obviously, because this is the podcast that we're on. Um, We have, um, we have August is world. There's so many names like national breast or breastfeeding awareness month. August is breastfeeding awareness month. And then the first week is world breastfeeding week. The second week is native breastfeeding week. And the last week is black breastfeeding week. And we've got this third week in there. And I think like, because I do believe I've learned so much during those weeks, you know, about with the, with the attention and the, um, the information that comes out and just highlighting those, um, groups of people and the, you know, the barriers and the traditions and stuff of breastfeeding that, that exist for those communities. I feel like this fits right in here for that third week. I would love to see that in my lifetime. So who do we talk? Who do who do we? Ta- who's the mayor of August? Right. Who do we? Ta- who do we talk to about that? Like just because it just it just seems so perfect. Like this is a community that needs this. You know what's happening in this month. I feel like this is a community that so much needs this highlight. This this week of awareness. You know whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think the awareness, the visibility, the education, all of the opportunities that are provided, you know, by the structure of that month and the weeks within it is so important. And I think, you know, most folks that exist outside of the binary, you know, in birthing and breastfeeding and not are willing to use our experience to educate others. I always caution folks that, um, you know, existing as a trans person doesn't mean that you're an educational platform. Um, Right. 
In fact, I think I shared a meme yesterday that was said something about, you know, a trans person sneezes and suddenly you're an activist. But, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, especially those of us that exist very openly and very out and very loudly in our communities, you know, that's our signal to you that you can ask questions that if you don't understand something, you know, let's talk about it. Um, and I, so I think the opportunity is like not only to expand resources for people that are chest feeding and body feeding, um, you know, outside of the, the more traditional breastfeeding world, but for those who are to, be able to to look it in a way that is safe um and and kind of buffers you know harm that could otherwise exist to educate themselves um and and feel less frightened i I hate to use that word but i often feel like we other people because we're scared of what including them would mean Mm -hmm. um and so i think like the the mutual benefit of of calling that in and making that happen would be enormous I, I, I would love to do that. Um, so you, you do, you're saying that you do the, the trainings and, um, you know, you have this conversation a lot, you do all, you know, you're very active in this, in this area and I am not. So I'm asking all these questions. I'm kind of directing this conversation, but what, what have I missed? What do you, what is some information that you feel is really important to put out there? You know, when it comes to this conversation that, that I'm just not getting to. Yeah, I honestly think you've done a really good job. Um, and I think that having these organic conversations as you and I have had right now is, is where you start. You know, you've touched on, on little elements throughout practicing. You know, um, I mentioned earlier, really just being open to other people's experience. If you don't understand something, you know, look into the science, find lived experiences that back it up. Um, I think moving to a place of not only just being open and accepting and affirming, um, but shifting your own lens inward and being critical of, you know, where you previously came from is a really important part of growth that a lot of us, particularly Americans, I think miss, um, because that isn't something that our culture appreciates generally. It's not something we're taught in our families. Frequently, it's not something that, you know, our school systems prioritize. Um, but when we start looking at spaces that are equitable and are inclusive, it, you know, it, it does require us to, to personally grow and personally let go of something. So um, I think we touched on some really great, powerful stuff. And, and I think that's the only suggestion that I would have to add is, is layer all of this, you know, external work of listening and watching and, and practicing, um, you know, make sure that you're also looking inward and, and seeing what needs to move around a little bit there. Yeah, that's great. Um, and like I said, you know, you have so, you know, been so, you know, open and put yourself out there um, that really most of what I've learned around this conversation has come from you. So thank you so much. And I know from personal experience that putting yourself out there off and on social media comes with very harsh consequences, which I know that you deal with. And I really want you to know that that you are, you know, you are making the change that I that you intend to make. You are making it. Thank so you. thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's not always safe. Um, and, and I also kind of want to explicitly say that while I do put myself out there and I am so grateful for friends and community, 
you know, that, that hears me and my experiences and those of my family and learns from it that, you know, I also can't speak for everybody. And there are people whose experiences add to mine. There are people who come from different perspectives and viewpoints. So, you know, also be aware of that as you're learning and growing in these, these spaces. And, um, you know, there's always nuance there, there always is. So, um, but yeah, I appreciate that. And it's nice to know, especially on those hard days when, um, things don't feel safe or, you know, mm-hmm. we've experienced something that's, that's tricky that, you know, there's hopefully more good that's coming out of living our lives this way than, than not. Yeah. Oh, so, and for people who are listening, where are the spaces where they can come and follow along with your journey and kind of continue on this path? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my personal website, which is undergoing an overhaul right now, is just my name, ashluna.com. And then on social media, um, primarily Instagram, you can find my personal account, which is open to the public at hello ashluna. And then um, we've talked about Fourth Trimester Bodies Project. So that account is the number four. So fourth try bodies um, on Instagram, Twitter, that sort of thing. And then I also run an account there. Um, with a, a friend and ally of mine um, that stopped censoring motherhood. That's adjacent oh, yes. to birthright bodies as well. Okay. That's a, yeah, that's a lovely account as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we, so we'll put all of this stuff on badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com If you like weren't, weren't able to take notes fast enough, <laughs> we'll put all the links on there so that you can follow along. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for being here. Um, this is a really wonderful conversation and maybe you'll come back and have more conversations with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Abby. And I would love to come back and chat more anytime. Great.